Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Toyota Brookhaven services all makes and models. That could be why we were voted best service department the past two years. Come see why. Exit 40 Brookhaven or online at toyotabrookhaven.com. Great service, great savings. At Toyota Brookhaven, we deliver. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Middays Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Rhino in the Element Well Studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder and fine music on this Friday y'all. We have made it to uh, Friday. I uh, took a little trip up to Oxford last night. Return this morning. Uh, that's a lot of miles. I've been twice to Oxford this week and headed back up next Tuesday. Looking forward to addressing the Ole Miss College Republicans. Last night, it was Dennis Prager of Prager U, uh, an event that was held at a venue uh, just east of Oxford. There, it was. It was uh, a lot of fun. I, you know, I I noted that much of the subject matter. I guess it shouldn't be surprising. Mr. Prager, I would argue, is one of the preeminent conservative thought leaders in the country. Much of the content and the subject matter align with uh, a lot of what we talk about here. And I, I think it goes to show that we sort of share similar views for sure, but more importantly, concerns. So, of course, he discussed the situation over in Israel, and as you probably know, Mr. Prager is uh, Jewish, and one of the things I learned last night about him is he's invested a lot of time historically as as an academician and just personally studying communism. And the evils of communism. And issued a stark warning, as he should, just as we have here, about how communism seems to be spreading its tentacles in this country. And it's not hyperbole. That's what's sad. It, a lot of times the left says, oh, you're just exaggerating there. I don't think we are, honestly. And he observed, as we have, that it's most pervasive and uh, mostly occurring on our college campuses. Now, I know this has been going on a while on college campuses. It just feels like it's ratcheted up. It's intensified significantly since uh, 
the 60s, I guess, maybe even the 50s, when you started to see it bubble up on the yeah, college campuses. Right, that's right. And I remember that. You know, I mean, I was a child, but I remember the that phase. If you think about fads on college campuses through the years, you know, in the 50s, it, it was swallowing goldfish. Actually, it goes back before the, 60s, the 50s, probably 30s, 40s. 50s, it was more panty raids. <laughs> and stuff in phone booths. You can go see video on that right now from the 50s era. In the 70s, when I was in college, I remember this distinctly. It was streaking. <laughs> Just, you know, show up and have something on you could shed real quickly and easily and just run fast, you know. <laughs> what was that... Uh, what was his name? Ray, uh, shoot, comedian. Ray Stevens. Ray Stevens. The streak. The song. Don't look, Ethel. <laughs> Remember that? In the 2020s now, which is where we are now, you could say it's Nuremberg-style pro-Holocaust pep rallies. That's just kind of a walk through history of how the college environment has changed. But Mr. Prager, I think, aptly pointed that out, that uh, as we have, this really, this stuff, it takes hold on college campuses, and then we produce these impressionable students that are brainwashed on all this crap, then they graduate, and they end up being corporate executives, and then they build gigantic DEI organizations. I mean, that's kind of what's happening, if you think about it. And it it's disturbing, at a minimum. The, today is supposed to be a day of jihad, right? Isn't that what you... Isn't that what the... That's what's been called for. The terrorists have suggested that. I've seen a lot of fear-mongering on social media. Stay out of the major cities. It's like, um... Yeah. Well, I, I believe it's the city of New York has called every police officer into work today, right? Oh, yeah, they got barricades up around the White House and the Capitol and all that. They're taking it seriously. Unbelievable. Um, you know, uh, crazy stuff, again, happening on college campuses, for example... I just have to share this one with you. At uh, Clemson, you know where that is, South Carolina. The, Their fake Death Valley. Yeah, exactly. Take back pride at Clemson protest is being held. About 50 students marched at the university on Wednesday. You know what they're protesting? The removal of tampons from the men's bathroom. I kid you not. They're calling for these menstrual products to be returned to men's bathrooms in Cooper Library and that the Clemson College Republicans be reprimanded for their role in the removal of tampons from men's bathrooms. This is just the epitome of what the hell's wrong in this country right now. 
And Mr. Prager made a great point last night. He said, you know, there are a lot of issues on which liberals, classical liberals, and conservatives are aligned. Leftists is kind of a different category. He explained, however, that the liberals, unfortunately, vote for leftists. I agree. You you agree with that? Oh, yeah. I think that's the truth. So liberals support free speech and the free expression of ideas. That was kind of college in the 60s. Everybody's got a right to speak their mind. I agree with them. That's what I talk about when I say a generation ago something would be considered racist, but nowadays it's considered the norm. It's absolutely true. You're right about that. So he uh, he made that point that, unfortunately, these classical liberals, which were a fair number of people a couple of decades ago, a few decades ago, but they're, they're voting for all these leftists. Leftists are more aligned with Marx and the doctrine of Marxism and communism. That's the, that's the problem. He's absolutely right about that. That's why leftists were against the Vietnam War, because I, we were fighting communism. That's right. You're exactly right. However, the protests on college campuses against the Vietnam War, mostly staged by classical liberals, classical liberals, who, who just opposed this idea of this country inserting itself in a war, really without a goal, if you think about it. And you're going to school with somebody sometimes, or you went to school with somebody, next thing you know, they're drafted, they're off to war, a couple of weeks later, they're dead. Average age, Vietnam, 19, right? Teenagers sent off to a foreign land, with no goal, no objective, no understanding of what the interests were of this country. We're fighting back communism. But you didn't really have a goal. And more importantly, you really never attempted to win. Let's be done with this damn thing. We're watching that in Israel right now. And you've probably seen, folks, that the Hamas regime has instructed the civilians to stay put, serve as a human shield. And, you know, they're just chomping at the bit to get video footage of Israeli bombs and bullets harming, killing civilians. It's going to happen if they stay there. So to them, these lives of these civilians are less valuable than their radical, twisted ideology. That's the truth. That's sad. We're coming back with Lance Tolbert, host of Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance Company High School Football Scoreboard Show, producer of The Gallo Show. He'll give us a preview of tonight's high school football games. At 11.05, Michael Guest is going to call in. He's been texting with me this morning. Give us an update on this uh, search for a Speaker of the House. Kelly Bennett at 1220. Stay with us. We're in the Element Well studio. Check it out. Let's do this. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. 
Welcome back, everyone. It's middays, a little ACDC. Bumping us into this segment here from the Element Well Studio. Joining us now, Lance Tolbert, host of the Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance Company High School Football Scoreboard Show and producer of the Gallo Show. <laughs> that is some kind of long title you got there, Lance. <laughs> I tell you, I, told, I was laughing with Rhino. I said, man, you're going to have to come up with an anagram for this. I think we keep adding <laughs> words to the title. <laughs> but it is a mouthful. But we're very fortunate to be able to have such a great sponsor. The team of Keith and uh, Butch, Caleb yep. has joined us, Lacey in the booth, and myself in the big seat up there. You know, My job's really just to allow them to shine. And it's such a great time to get to hang out with our family in Mississippi on Friday night. God, I mean, it's hard to describe how much fun I have getting to do that. I get so many texts, Gerard, going, man, when do you get sleep? I'm like, man, I ain't, I ain't worried about no sleep. We can do that when football season's over with. So. Well, that's pretty cool. So uh, we got we got it going on tonight, right? A bunch oh, of games man. across the state. Give us an update. We had some games last night, but the one, you know, and this is just, uh, a, a, I love Mississippi, uh, but, you know, we have so many great names, but this one is one I wanted to throw at you. Greenville Christian travels to Georgia, hmm. all right, all the way up to Rabin Gap Nakuchi. <laughs> Now, where is that? That is uh, just south of the Nantahala National Forest, one of the most beautiful places on the eastern seaboard, I would say, at least east of the Mississippi. Did some fly fishing up there, so I hope those guys have a good trip. They're 5-2 and two, Greenville Christian. They're playing an 8-0 and o Rabin Gap Nakuchi team. So they're going to be the furthest one on the road. I did want to mention that, so you all be safe in your travels. Uh, quite a few games shaping up today. I'm going to run through some of the ones that uh, that we don't talk about enough. Some of the smaller schools, some of those that are outside of the metro area, um, but you know, great teams and and ones that we're honored to be able to cover. Uh, and thank you guys, those that are listening in, that text us on Friday nights and call in. It, make, it means a lot to us. Uh, five and one Ocean Springs, who's number three, takes on five and one Harrison Central at Harrison Central. Going to be a big game. Uh, five and two Tupelo Christian Prep plays in five and one Biggersville. Okay. Yeah, that's a, that'll be an entry. Biggersville stuff. Let me tell you what. Uh, one of the big games in the metro area, obviously, is the Hartfield Academy Jackson Prep game. When I get done running through these, I was able to interview uh, A.D. Sykes and the coach Bowman at Hartfield. Was also able to interview uh, Coach Goodwin at Prep yesterday. Just amazing people all the way around, Gerard. Let me run through a few more games. I want to circle back to that. 7-0 Holmes County Central has Gentry, 4-3. Sharkey Issaquina Academy is 7-1. They have Claiborne Academy. 3-3 Belmont takes on 7-1 Kossuth. Uh, Wilkinson Christian, they are 3-5, but they take on a 9-0 Porter's Chapel team. 6-1 Humphreys County versus a absolutely stellar Winona team whose numbers, they're number four, and they're 7-0. and Wesson is 6-0. and They're taking on 3-5 and Franklin County. And then another really good ball game here in 6A is 4-2 and Center Hill is traveling to number 24 in the state, South Panola, 5-1. and And Velma Jackson, two years in a row, Gerard, has had a great team. They're 6-0. and Noxipater is going to come down and take them on. Noxipater's 3-0. and a couple more of these types of games. We have Louisville, who's number uh, two in the state. Arguably could be number one, Oak Grove being the number one team. But Louisville 7-0, and Caledonia 3-3. Three and three. Louisville travels to Caledonia to play. And then 2-5, and five, Jay-Z George plays a 6-1 and one Union team who's very good. They travel to Union. Hmm. And then the River matchup, hmm. the one with Vicksburg and Warren Central. We've been waiting on this one all year. Both teams are 4-2. and two. So this ought to be an epic battle. 
Uh, Senatobia, who's had a great season, six and one against one and six Bahalia, and they're traveling seven and zero Columbia at four and three Summerall. Itawamba is two and five. They travel to seven and zero Ripley, seven and zero Lewisville. We talked about Jefferson County and South Pike are both five and two. They Jefferson County is going to go to South Pike. Quitman and Mendenhall are both five and two. Quitman travels to Mendenhall. And another couple of the seven A games I wanted to run through real quickly. Brandon four and two has found their groove a bit. Takes on and travels to number one Oak Grove six and zero. Hmm. Meridian comes to Northwest Rankin. Northwest Rankin is left with Oak Grove, Pedal, and Brandon. So this is a, a, a unique position Northwest finds himself in this late in the season. Usually they're not 5-1 and one at this point. So they're playing good ball. Pearl, 5-1, and one, has 3-3 three and three Pedal. 1-5 Clinton has 5-2 and two, number 8 Starkville. And then South Haven and Lewisburg play, and that's 1-5 South Haven versus num, uh, number 16, 4-2 Lewisburg. Two games last night, Madison Central blanks Murrah, 35 nothing. And Tupelo beats Germantown 42-3 to at home on the blue turf. And that's going to round out what I had for you with the lineup. And uh, one thing I want to say, though, getting to meet the coaches yesterday at Prep and Hartfield, let me tell you something. These are quality individuals. We're, we're lucky to have such great people around uh, that care so much about their players, that are so intelligent, believe in what they're doing. And if you ever go over to Hartfield, you'll see that uh, they're in the highest classification of ball. They move, they've moved up. Uh, I mean, just hmm. continue moving up. You only have roughly six teams in the highest classification, uh, and five of those are around Jackson. Hartfield has absolutely blown up this year in terms of enrollment and as well the team they have is as good as they're going to get coach goodwin at prep you know he said the same thing their talent's amazing he goes but hey we're gonna we may not have pound for pound the talent but we're well coached we're very disciplined and very smart so this is gonna be an epic game tonight between two very good teams and um coach goodwin is a guy that was a uh defensive back at auburn Coached in the Alabama hmm. world for many years, had great success, and then was on Lane Kiffin's staff as an analyst. And Lane Kiffin has spoken very highly of him. So, uh, prep, very, very fortunate to have Coach Goodwin there. And then Coach Bowman at Hartfield. Man, they're doing great things. And got to visit with Coach, uh, Athletic Director Sykes, who had been a coach AD at great places. And man, they've got a great plan. They're doing wonderful things. So, just wanted to brag on those two when you put them side by side. Two very different programs right up the road from each other. And right now, Rankin County is just blowing up. Pearl, Brandon, Northwest, Prep, and Hartfield all have very good teams. And I don't know if that's ever really happened yet You know, in in, uh, in this, the history of Rankin County football. They're all good. I can't get used to the 7A. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> it's tough. 7A. Well, and Murrow, you know, would be the 24th team in 7A, but they play an open format schedule. So they're not really in a district. And you have one of the districts, I believe it's three uh, that has uh, four teams in it instead of the five, or five instead of the six. But at any rate, um, Murrah got blanked last night by a very, very good Madison Central team. And so th- that's mainly what we have is the layout. And, you know, just folks, tune in. It's hard to go through so much uh, in a short period of time. I don't want to miss anyone because there's so many good games out there. And if you have an opportunity to get out to some of these games, get you a hot dog, go out and hit the concession stand. And if you can find a place to seat at most of these these games, you're kind of lucky. You need to get there early. Gerard, I'm blown away by the crowds that we're seeing at the high school level, at the junior high level. Yeah. I mean, it's it's something else. So, Kudos and backslaps to all you out there that make Mississippi High School football such a unique and wonderful event. And it really does. Anytime I go anywhere, I want to tell you all how much I appreciate the hospitality, uh, the open door. I know 
Having a Super Talk logo on my shirt helps, but man, we have a lot of great people associated with these programs and talented yeah. folks in the production side too. It's you look at what they're doing with these games, Gerard. I'm blown away, man. Any uh, any particular players that um, are sort of surprising this year in terms of their performance? Well, I think the quarterback at Prep Puckett, who is in his first year as a starter, has has brought so much to the table. And like Coach Goodwin said, you know, he doesn't ask his guy just to do a little run here and there. He's asking for a complicated offense to be run. And he had such great things to say about the young man who. He's asked to basically go in and absorb this huge playbook, executed at a high level, and there's not much margin of error at this level in the highest level MAIS. These teams are all very even. So uh, tonight, I'm, I'm looking forward to him having a good game. Then you flip over to Hartfield, and again, just uh, <clears throat> quite a bit of uh, talent on both sides. But Coach Goodwin at prep, I mean, I, I couldn't name all the players that he was talking about, how hard they work, how good they are. And I think those guys are the ones that get underscored sometimes when we talk about the top 100 or the top 25. It's those guys out there that just continue to show up, work hard. Yes, sir. No, sir. Put me in, Coach. I'm ready to play. Yeah. And these teams are filled with guys like that that make such a difference. I know Northwest Rankin got their uh, starting uh, offensive lineman back, uh, McKinnon, last week. And as Coach uh, Cooper said, you know he wouldn't have gone for it on two fourth downs that made the difference in that win over Pearl had he not had his guy and missed him for a few weeks. So those are the unsung guys sometimes, Gerard. You know, you don't see and read about them, but they're all over the place. And, man, I know those coaches are thankful to have them. Lots of talent. In yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, um, and they're going to feed the colleges, which oh. is kind of good news. JUCOs, for, all of them. Right. Yeah, yeah it's good news. For, uh, great state of Mississippi is blessed with much football talent, both in terms of players and coaches. Yes, sir. Thank you for letting me come on and visit. You bet. Bit. Thank you, Lance. We're coming right back, folks. we got Michael Guest coming on at 11.05. The congressman will call in and give us an update on trying to find a speaker up there in the House of Representatives. Stay with us. We're in the Element Well studio. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Welcome, welcome to our shop on Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one. Welcome back, everyone. It's middays, and we're in the Element Wealth Studio. We thank you for joining us. So, you made an interesting point, uh, Rhino. I can't remember if it was yesterday or the day before, but this concept of decolonization, which I think annoys both you and I, and you made the point that these acts of barbarism that we're seeing, that is decolonization. That it is yeah. colonization that established civil society. 
Well, it was timely that I read an essay that made that exact same point. And it was specifically referring to Harvard. Now, you would consider Harvard, you would hope at least, such a prestigious institute of higher learning would be a very civil place. Yet the protest we've seen, where they are holding Israel as the bad guy, essentially, and Hamas, terrorist, engaged in unthinkable acts against human beings, they're holding them up as heroes. And, no, they're the resistance. It's noble what they're doing. You know, beheading babies and torching grandma and the like. 33 student groups, we informed a couple of days ago, blamed the Jewish state for the murder. Today's events did not occur in a vacuum. The apartheid regime is the only one to blame. That was their official statement. So the former Harvard president, Larry Summers, worked for Bill Clinton, also a graduate of the prestigious Harvard, expressed some degree of surprise. But why, Mr. Summers? This has been festering and building up on this campus for a long time. How could he be so surprised? And while it appears, or it may appear, that we're focusing on Harvard here, this is going on across the country. It ain't just Harvard. But it's somewhat ground zero because I think the protests have been so voluminous and intense, and it it seems to have, have, uh, I guess, included so many on one campus. It's, It's astonishing. But maybe you could see the cause and find the culprit here in these radical leftist views and, and honestly, inhumane views, in my, in my opinion, in the pedagogy itself. So here's one of the courses that one can take at Harvard. Global rebellion, colon, race, solidarity, and decolonization. Now, what do you think they talk about in that course? A bunch of Marxist crap. That's what they talk about. And so they're producing little Marxist clones. They probably spend all their time one-upping each other on how aggrieved they are. Oh, there's no doubt. I guarantee you, they share their lived experiences. Isn't that that what they say? It's my truth. (laughs) While they're cutting checks for about 100K a year to attend this place. Nobody ever said they were very smart. (laughs) The, uh, The course, apparently, as described, draws on critical ethnic studies, a subfield. When you're using a word like subfield, you know it's a joke right there of critical race theory and promises to promote, quote, black, Asian, Latinx, and indigenous radicalism. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's just left-wing garbage is all that is. And they have the gall to include Asian in that, even though Harvard was discriminating against Asians so much it went to the Supreme Court. That's true. (laughs) 
That's a good point. And they use Latinx, even though the Latin American and Hispanic organizations and communities have told them that's offensive to them. Exactly. Because all of this crap comes from leftist, white, spoiled brat, liberal freaks. The baseless white guilt of stupid people. The goal of the course, according to the description, is to, quote, discuss how BIPOC communities forged cross-racial internationalist solidarities to rebel against global white supremacy. That's like a mouthful of Kamala Harris crap right there. What does that mean? It's basically a bunch of words to say, I've been wronged. Please pay attention to me. (laughs) In about that tone of voice, too. Yet another course, I'll have you know, entitled Colonialism and its Post-Colonial, Decolonial Afterlives. Who dreams up this? People with more time than sense. It, of course, features readings of Lenin and France to France. That's F-R-A-N-T-Z, Franza Fanon, the latter of whom argued that, quote, violence is a cleansing force. That, quote, frees the native from his inferiority complex. Why are we teaching stuff like this? What good does because this do? Because you've got to have somewhere to put all these gender and ethnic studies degrees. I guess. Well, where where we put them? In this classroom teaching? Making 500 grand a year with five years of tenure, right? That's what happens. They got no chance it's mediocrity rewarding mediocrity so that they don't feel so bad about being so damn mediocre. Which is why I describe the higher ed academic community as the most protectionist in this country. They, they honestly are the least tolerant of anyone who dissents with their opinions and views. The least tolerant. In an environment where we should see the most tolerance. And so, therefore, we graduate them. We have people in this country, Prager talked about this last night, and we, we've discussed it before. It's disturbing that, oh, they support free speech as long as it aligns with theirs. They literally want to punish people for so-called hate speech. And when that happens, this country's over. This is still maybe the only one on the planet where one can express their views, even if they rise to the level of hate speech, and not be charged with a crime for doing so. Yeah, you can go to jail for a bad tweet in England. Exactly right. I think Canada, too, has some laws, right, against hate speech. Maybe not as egregious as the U.K. France does. No, that that's why... They lag. I may not agree with what they say, but I fight like hell to protect their right to express their views. But they won't for us. That's the problem. That's the double standard. And when they talk about it's the end of democracy, what they mean is if we on the right are allowed to express our views in the public square, that's the end of democracy in their view. I would consider the end of democracy when I stand up and say, you don't have a right to express your views. And even What though, they really mean by the end of democracy is that an ounce, a modicum of logic, 
was flung towards their house of cards of stupidity, and it all comes crashing down. I think that's right. So, also, in this course, they explore the relationship between empire and the rise of industrial capitalism, the significance of race, class, and gender, and colonial extraction, and the modes of violence on which it was founded. The solution, according to this writer's analysis of uh, the content of the course, the solution, of course, the metaphors they love to spew. Refusal, resistance, post-colonial, I can't even say it, post-coloniality, coloniality, post-coloniality, and decoloniality. Are they making up words? I've never seen that before. Coloniality? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you're right, though. Decolonization, that's babies getting their heads cut off. That's what happens when you decolonize. In a colonized civil society, we don't do that to other human beings. And if they do, we punish the hell out of them. And that's part of the problem. Nobody fears it. There's no fear. There's no fear of the police. There's no fear of retribution for wrongful acts of conduct. There's no fear of parents. Parents, i got to be their buddies. That's where the problem is. Thanks, Dr. Spock. Unbelievable. Yeah, exactly right. He was the one that was peddling that crap. We're stepping aside for a break in the Element Well studio. We're coming right back. Stay with us. the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert, Middays with Gerard, Super Talk Mississippi. everyone it's middays we are live in the element well studio so i was sharing uh, earlier that i attended an event last night in oxford that uh, featured dennis prager prager you and uh, i would consider again one of the leading conservative thought leaders in the country and it was fascinating honestly he's uh, he's brilliant i think he's spot on he made some points that truly stuck with me that I think are worthy of repeating. He said that you've got to hate evil. If you don't, you don't love God. I agree with that. You know, I I don't know that there's any gray area there. I don't think God wants us to embrace evil in any way, shape, or form. And I think what's happening in Israel is evil. On the college campuses, though, you know, they've been peddling this crap, anti-Semitism, anti-Americanism, for a long time. It just feels like 
it's hit a boiling point that it's just overwhelming now, and it's so pervasive. They don't even try to hide their bigotry anymore. It's almost like instant reflexive hatred, and I think it comes from the stuff that they hear and they see from people they're supposed to respect, instructors and They're really just activists, and what they're doing is producing more activists, and I think that's consistent with Marx's doctrine. But UCLA, this one shocked me, offered extra credit to attend an anti-Israel teach-in this past Wednesday, two days ago. Anti-Israel teach-in. Extra credit. It took place, of course, five days after the attack. And the screenshot that was, this all stuff gets leaked is what happens. It kind of happens in a vacuum, and then somebody leaks it, and it goes somewhat viral. But you got to look for it a bit. Dear all, I'd like to share another extra credit opportunity happening tomorrow. It's an emergency teach-in on the crisis in Palestine. Crisis in Palestine convened by Professor Sari Magdizi from English and Comparative Literature, and Professor, you got to love this one, Professor Shireen Razak from Gender Studies. Why do we need gender studies? What do they talk about? What do they teach? What does that curriculum consist of? What do you need that for? Boys are boys and girls are girls. Okay, done, into class. What more do we need? There's also an option to join by Zoom if you can't make it in person. It, this is incredible that this is going on. And I'm looking at the flyer. Emergency teach-in. Unbelievable. So this professor, one of the co-leaders, Professor MacDesey, in The bio states that he devotes substantial time and energy to defending the Palestinian people's rights and to exploring alternatives to what he calls the now moribund two-state solution that will enable peace with justice for both Israelis and Palestinians. Oh, gosh. The other teachers focused on this Razak, the one that's in the gender studies group, focuses on racial violence as a field of study. So you pay 70 grand a year to go to school like this to take a racial violence class? Do you put that on your resume when you go for a job? Made an A in racial violence. I mean, if you're applying for the DEI position. <laughs> That's right. And then another, another book, uh, a book that uh, Professor Razak wrote, Nothing Has to Make Sense, Upholding White Supremacy Through Anti-Muslim Racism. Think about that one. And the book apparently takes a, quote, critical race theory approach to demonstrate that anti-Muslim racism reveals white supremacy as a global force. It's just bizarre. And These are like little kids that never grew out of the boogeyman under my bed. That's exactly right. And I know folks out there saying, why are we talking about this? I tell you why. Because 
This is the next generation of American leaders. This is the crap that's being pushed into their hands on college campuses. And by the way, opposite the event I went to in Oxford last night, I understand, was some sort of gender LGBTQ big event going on at the same time, I think sponsored by a group there. So look, I, again, I fully support their right to do that. Don't get me wrong. But it won't surprise me if we don't see some some sort of negative reports about the event I went to with Dennis Prager last night. The free speech has to be free, no exceptions. Doesn't work in just one direction. We're stepping aside for Fox News and Super Talk News because it's top of the hour. Michael Guest, when we come back. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Middays is with you now. We are live in the Element Wealth Studio on this Friday, y'all. We welcome to the program now the congressman who represents Mississippi's 3rd District. That's Michael Guest. Congressman Morning, how are you doing this morning? Good morning, Gerard. I'm doing great. wish I was home with uh, you and your listeners, uh, but we are still in D.C. and uh, we'll be here throughout the weekend trying to uh, elect the new Speaker of the House. Well, I know you and I chatted a bit about this. I was, uh, I guess, a, a Somewhat shocked, yesterday afternoon I was traveling, headed up to Oxford, and got the notification that Steve Scalise had withdrawn his name from a consideration. Did you see that coming? Uh, I, I, I was not surprised. It, it appeared um, after Steve was able to get the majority of the conference vote yeah. uh, that there was a block of members um, who had um, publicly stated uh, that they would not support uh, Scalise's um, nominee on the floor. Uh, and with the tight majority that we have, currently Republicans hold a, a four-seat majority. So uh, five members uh, can stop legislation, can stop individuals from being elected to leadership positions. Uh, and there was a group of about four or five times that number, George, somewhere between hmm. 20 and 25 members, uh, who for various reasons uh, stated that they would not support Scalise's bid on the House floor. I think when Scalise uh, learned that those people were pretty rock solid in their position, uh, I think Steve made the right call at that point, uh, knowing that he was going to be unable uh, to uh, move the votes necessary to be successful. Uh, he has withdrawn his name, uh, and now uh, we have once again started the process over uh, as a Republican conference to select uh, the speaker designee uh, fr- from uh, the, the, the Republican members. Well, uh, Congressman Scalise, as you well know, is is a very skilled vote counter. Uh, he so he he can read those tea leaves pretty good, and and I think he just said, yeah, the the path doesn't exist for me to win this thing, so he stepped aside. But here we are again. How long have we been without a speaker? Now it's a couple of weeks, huh? 
Uh, going on day ten, uh, so uh, so the, the longer this uh, drags on, uh, I, I think the more pressure we feel as a conference to try to uh, get this decision right, uh, to try to move this forward uh, in a timely manner. Uh, particularly as we saw the events that happened last weekend uh, internationally with Hamas and, and Israel, uh, we're going to be under a great deal of pressure. Uh, to reopen the House floor, uh, to pass resolutions supporting Israel, uh, to begin once again, uh, start back with the appropriations process. So we've got a lot of work to do with the Congress. None of that can occur until we elect a speaker. Yeah. Um, and so uh, earlier this morning, uh, we had a conference meeting, uh, looked at the potential to change the rules to elect the speaker within the conference, not from the House as a whole, but within the conference. Uh, those uh, potential amendments uh, were either withdrawn or, or tabled, uh, and so we will return back in about 45 minutes uh, as a conference, uh, and we will have a candidate forum. Uh, okay. The only announced candidate at this time is uh, Jim Jordan. Hmm. Uh, I would be surprised if any other names surface uh, between uh, now uh, and that 12 o'clock um, Central Standard Time uh, candidate forum, uh, and so I do believe that by between now and the end of the day, uh, that Jim Jordan will be the speaker designee candidate uh, for the Republican Party. Okay. Well, um, I don't know if it makes a difference, and and if there are others who feel the same, but I caught Representative Carlos Jimenez this morning. He represents uh, a 28th district, I believe, in Florida. Uh, he was being interviewed on the Business Channel, and he said he was all for Kevin McCarthy. Uh, he was still planning to uh, to throw his support behind him. Is do you think there are others in that camp, and and might this sort of muck up the works here? Uh, there are there are others in that camp. Uh, you have others that believe what happened to Kevin McCarthy was, uh, even though it was done pursuant to the rules, was improper, that it was wrong. Uh, and so there does exist a group of members who would like to see McCarthy uh, returned uh, as the Speaker uh, of the House. You know, the, the thing that Jordan faces is the same thing that uh, Scalise faced, uh, and that Jordan will get the votes from the conference as a whole because all it requires is a simple majority. Yeah. Uh, and Jim will overwhelmingly receive the majority of the votes from the conference. But with that narrow majority, uh, all it takes is, is five Republican members who would be voting in lockstep with the Democrats to deny Jim Jordan or Steve Scalise or Kevin McCarthy or whoever that candidate may be uh, the ability to ascend to the speakership. Yeah. Uh, I know that there are several members who have publicly stated that they will not support Jordan, uh, several others who said that they are on the fence as to whether they will support Jordan, mm. uh, and probably others who have not announced one way or the other. And so even if Jim Jordan comes out of today as our speaker-designee, uh, he's going to have to work on those handful of members uh, who actually could go to the floor and prevent him from being elected as Speaker of the House. I intend to vote for Jim Jordan today. Uh, I intend to vote for Jim Jordan on the floor. Uh, but I will tell you that there are a handful of members, probably at this point 10 to 12, who have either publicly said they will not vote for Jordan or they are questioning whether or not they will vote for him on the floor. Well, Representative Jimenez is certainly one of those, and and if uh, just as you went through the math there, that means Jim Jordan can't get elected to the speaker if that's the case. 
Well, you know, he, he, uh, Jim's going to have to do what Steve was trying to do over that 24, 36 hours before he, uh, withdrew from the speaker's race. He's going to have to be meeting with these people individually, yeah. uh, meeting with these people as a group, uh, to try to understand, uh, what issues that they may have, uh, and try to give them assurances, uh, that if he is elected speaker, uh, that he will lead the entire conference as a whole. Uh, mm. and so, uh, if, if not Jim Jordan, I think the question is, is who? Uh, because you're really, uh, after you go through Scalise and Jim Jordan, uh, there is no clear favorite, uh, as to who would be next in line to be able to lead the Republican conference. You've heard people like Tom Emmer, the Whip's names mentioned, um, uh, you've heard, um, uh, a couple of other names uh, that, that that have surfaced, surfaced, but really none of them have uh, the, the 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 public persona, if you will, yeah. of Jordan and Scalise. And mm-hmm. so you're going to be electing someone who most of the uh, American public has not heard of. And so that's why I believe that this is Jim Jordan's race to lose at this point. I think he is well positioned. But it only takes a handful of Republican members to be able uh, to sabotage his attempt uh, to be the Speaker of the House. You know, Congressman, I, I certainly don't, uh, with this next comment, don't uh, want to sound like I'm, I'm discounting or downplaying the importance and the critical nature of the leader, uh, in this case the Speaker of the House, of the body. But I've talked to a lot of people the last couple of days that uh, kind of come down of the opinion that it really shouldn't matter all that much. And, that, you know, we got it. We should be united uh, on our agenda as a party in that body. And we just need somebody to, to serve in that position to make sure that it gets properly stewarded. But it seems like there's still a lot of conflict, a lot of dissension on and, and a lack of consensus on what that agenda ought to be and, and how it ought, ought to be uh, carried out. Well, and we've gotten some of those same calls at our officer are. You know, people have called and they said, hey, just elect somebody. Yeah. You know, we don't care who it is. You know, this has gone on now for a week and a half with really no end in sight. Uh, we want Congress to get back to work. We want Congress to get back to being able to bring legislation to the floor uh, and conduct business uh, somewhat as usual, at least to be able to conduct business, even if not as usual, conduct business on the House floor. And yeah. so uh, there's a great frustration uh, by conference members. Uh, I will tell you that, you know, uh, at this point, uh, tempers uh, are beginning uh, to rise. <laughs> um, people are... Uh, beginning to, um, you know, speak out a- a- at times. Uh, but there's also, uh, uh, I think, a concern by the American public, uh, particularly those Americans who sent us here to do the people's business, uh, that the longer this drags on, uh, the more incompetent the Republican Party appears to look, particularly in the national media. No doubt. We, we're already seeing... Democrat detractors uh, already starting to promote that quite a bit. Uh, I know you're in the middle of business, but can you hang around with us for another segment, dig into this uh, Palestinian-Israel situation? Would love to. Yes, sir. All right. got Congressman Michael Guest on the line with us. Uh, We're in the Element Well studio. Coming right back.
talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's middays. We're in the Element Well studio. We've got Congressman Michael Guest with us. So, Congressman, you feel like we will get uh, a speaker just to wrap this this subject up before the end of the weekend? Uh, I'm optimistic that we will have a vote either Saturday or Sunday to elect a new speaker. Uh, well, again, uh, the candidate forum will kick that off uh, in just over half an hour. Uh, I'm told that there may be a second candidate, Austin Scott, from the state of Georgia, who may uh, also be a candidate for speaker. But I okay. think the overwhelming majority of the Republican Party will support Jim Jordan. Uh, I think that he will win the nomination uh, uh, within the party. And it will be uh, incumbent upon Jim uh, to hold those one-on-one conversations with the handful of members uh, that, that may have reservations about him serving as speaker. Uh, but I'm hopeful that we can get that done and that we can have a vote. I, I, I will tell you right now, Gerard, that we have uh, an attendance problem. Uh, hmm. There are about 13 Republicans who are not here today. Uh, some of those individuals uh, went back to their district for whatever uh, – reason. Uh, and so uh, until those members return, uh, we will not be able to go to the floor and have the speaker election. We've got to make sure that all of our members are present, and not only all our members are present, but that all of our members uh, intend to support Jim Jordan as speaker. So we're working through those logistics, the conferences, as we speak. Okay. Well, we'll uh, we'll be watching out for it, and hopefully we can get this thing wrapped up and get a speaker in place and start taking care of the people's business. I know that's what you want to do. I think that's what most people uh, in the body in the conference want to do as well. I, unfortunately, like we said before we went to break, it feels like the Democrats are enjoying this. I mean, they're just eating the popcorn and, and liking what they see, liking the chaos and and, and calling us out on it. Yeah, and look, we, we would have done the same thing when Nancy Pelosi was speaker. And sure. so, you know, nobody within the Republican Party should have thought that the Democrats would throw us a lifeline. They're going to make us work this out internally. <laughs> They're not going to offer us one vote on the House floor. Uh, when we go to the floor, they will all vote in lockstep for Akeem Jeffries uh, to be the speaker. So that's why it's important uh, that all Republicans vote to support our Republican nominee. Okay. Uh, and again, that individual at the end of the day will be Jim Jordan, uh, and he'll have to work on anyone that may have any reservations, and we'll have to work as a party to make sure that those reservations or those concerns are addressed so that we can get this to the floor quickly. Okay. All right. Well, uh, again, we'll be on the lookout for it, and hopefully we can get this thing uh, put to bed. So let, let's turn our attention to the situation uh, in Israel, the um, the response I think uh, from uh, the U.S. 
in some cases has, has been a little tardy. I, I'm seeing this morning that the State Department is is getting a little more involved and in, in helping to extract Americans from the area, but seems like they've been a little slow on this. You know, you're exactly right. You know, the, the administration, uh, since the Republican Congress has not been able to act and intervene, uh, we've been relying completely on the administration. There's been some things that I think that they've done uh, that I agree with, uh, moving the carrier group uh, into the area to uh, make sure that uh, third parties, uh, that uh, maybe uh, nation states in the area that may seek to take advantage of the unrest in Israel know that we are there and we will be supporting them. Uh, but like you said, you know, we, we've uh, not been as aggressive as I would have hoped in being able to bring Americans back from yeah. Israel that have been stranded in Israel because uh, commercial flights have been canceled. Uh, and I think that we need to work harder uh, using our assets uh, to try to rescue Americans who are held hostage in Gaza. And so those are areas where I think that this administration has been slow to act. Uh, you know, and I also to think that they've been slow at times uh, to release information uh, to uh, the public uh, and to members of Congress. I mean, it, it took until Wednesday before members of Congress were able to get a briefing hmm. on what was occurring in Israel. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, and that's unacceptable. Uh, we should have been able to be briefed uh, within 24 hours of the events that were going on so that we could then know how we could engage uh, moving forward. Uh, I will tell you, at least within the Republican Party, there is overwhelming support uh, for Israel. Uh, I can't say that that's necessarily true. Uh, in the Democratic Party, we've seen uh, Rashida Tlaib and uh, uh, Omar and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and others um, who seem to be either be supporting uh, Palestine uh, or at least sending mixed messages. Uh, but the Republican Party, we will stand uh, behind Israel, uh, and we are prepared uh, to look at some sort of military assistance package uh, once that package is formalized and sent over by the administration. Okay. Well, uh, I guess we shouldn't uh, be too terribly surprised at uh, the individuals that, that you listed there. It, it seems like they've been sort of uh, of an anti-Israel, pro-Palestine posture. For some time, I think it's a shame, honestly. And uh, well, and, and 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 what happened, you know, last weekend was really indefensible. Uh, yeah. You know, not only the number of Israelis that were killed and hospitalized, but the brutality that we saw. You know, babies being beheaded, people being burned alive, uh, women being raped, uh, people being kidnapped and taken into Gaza. Uh, you know, I, I mean, th- those actions are indefensible. You know, even if you, for some reason, are not a friend of Israel, which we know, uh, Omar and Rashida Tlaib and AOC, that they're never going to be friends of Israel, what happened on that day should have united not only all Americans, but the entire world around the cause of Israel. Because what we saw there is something that I don't recall seeing in my lifetime, at least to, the, to that scale. Uh, and, and, it, it, and it was nothing more than terrorists uh, conducting uh, those, those, those raids on, on the nation of Israel. And so it is important, regardless of how you may stand on the one-state solution, two-state solution, yeah. you know, how you may feel personally about Israel, that we take a stand that we're not going to allow this type of brutality to occur anywhere.
Yeah, and, and this morning, I, I don't know if you've been briefed on it, but uh, Secretary of State Blinken and uh, Lloyd Austin, Defense Secretary, uh, they, they made some fairly powerful statements where they, they said that Israel can be assured that, quote, we have your back. Uh, he stopped short of saying that, that the U.S. would provide any sort of ground troop support. In fact, he said we would not. And I don't think Israel has ever asked for that or is asking for that. But I think in terms of intelligence or any other assets or resources they need, uh, apparently these two members of the cabinet have said they're, uh, they're, they're good to go with that. And I'm sure that's coming with the approval of the president. Do you have any thoughts about that or are you he- hearing anything from Republicans in the House on that? Well, you know, I think you're right in, in the fact that as far as us sending Americans uh, to Israel uh, into combat, you know, uh, the Israeli Defense Fund, they are one of the, uh, they are one of the best trained military organizations in the world. Yeah. Uh, they are well trained, uh, well equipped, uh, and so they are very capable to carry out the mission that they need to uh, in Gaza. Uh, but you're right, we need to make sure that we are supplying them with any intelligence that we have. Uh, and that we're also making sure that militarily, as they begin to expand their stockpile, uh, particularly if there is a, a ground invasion into Gaza, that we are resupplying them. And, yeah. and so I, I think that is the goal. You know, I was surprised to learn, Gerard, I was talking uh, to Dan Crenshaw the other day when I was here, uh, just asking him his opinion because of his prior military service. Yeah. Uh, and, and he was telling me that, you know, Gaza is an area where the U.S. really has limited intelligence assets, that mm. we don't consider Gaza a direct threat to America. Okay. Uh, and that actually America relies very heavily on Egypt and Israel to provide and share intelligence with us. And so uh, I'm sure there are things uh, that we have that we can provide to them. Uh, but really, there is a much more Israeli-Egyptian intelligence gathering network in Gaza uh, than an American intelligence gathering network. Yeah, I've heard the same thing. So apparently I just got a notification. It looks like Israel is maybe on the move and starting to do um, some some sort of limited raids, I guess, is the way they're describing it. But uh, And I don't think that should come as any surprise. Of course, they try to get the civilians to, to get out. And then we hear that the Hamas regime told the civilians to stay put. And they're probably threatening them if they leave. It's um, it's a mess, and we we pray for the situation to come to a quick resolution. But Congressman, always good talking to you. Appreciate you coming on today, and and we'll be checking with you to see how this vote goes over the weekend. Good deal. Thanks, Gerard. Have a great weekend. You too, sir. We're coming right back, folks, in the Element Well Studio. Super Talk Mississippi.
We are back in the Element Well Studio. The ceasefire text line is 601-879-4395. We once again appreciate you joining us today. We got uh, tickets to give away before we get out of here. Again, to the Township Blues Festival. That's Saturday, November the 11th. On the ceasefire text line, Ricky in Aberdeen says, Do you think Hamas plan for Israel ground attack and have a trap ready? Yeah, I don't. I don't know, Ricky. I mean, it's that's certainly a very uh, plausible thought, no doubt about that. Uh, but and I also do think that this this uh, invasion and this attack that occurred has been planned for some time. I don't think that was a spur of the moment deal. I think it was too well orchestrated and sort of consistent with, if you think about it, nine eleven. I mean, that was a plan underway. In a long time. Have you seen this, Rhino? I, I'm trying to remember the details here that sort of trigger my memory about it. Uh, this country has sent letters to victims of 9-11 about the mastermind. What's his name? Khalid Sheikh Mohammed that's down at uh, Gitmo, right? There's still a four or five of them, I think, still that are held in captivity. Um, at this really uh, high-security facility. And they sent them a letter telling them they're, like, going to let them out or transfer them or, uh, like, end the incarceration, something to that effect. Um, Heard about that late last night, and that was disturbing. I haven't dug into it. I remember saying something about that. A month or two ago where there was disagreement within the Biden administration over plans for a plea deal. That's that's what it is. You're right. But apparently they sent letters to all the survivors of the 9-11 victims, you know, trying to get ahead of it, letting them know. The goal, of course, they want to shut the thing down. I mean, that's, that's been the case, right, since Obama, I think. It's another situation where we can't hate evil. And those people are evil. They just are. They're not good to society. They're a menace to the world. That's terrible. I respect human life. But I also respect the fact that we can't let those people ever have the light of day. I don't see how. That wouldn't be right and would pose a tremendous threat for more. But to Ricky's point here, I worry about that, of course, Ricky. I I will say this, that Israeli military is um, quite astute. They're really good. They are, uh, like like the congressman said, they're well-trained, well-supplied. I mean, they kind of grow up. Because they have a draft, expecting they're going to put in their service. And they, unfortunately, unlike in this country, they teach their young people to love their country, to serve their country. We're so damn fat and happy, and we go off to college, and they teach you how bad the place is. It's ridiculous, honestly. It just aggravates me to no end. Meanwhile, Hamas and the Palestinian government train their children to hate Israel and those of the Jewish faith. That's absolutely true. And, of course, America and any, anyone who is a supportive of Israel, they're also deemed the enemy. 
their in their in their view. Which that would be my answer to the question is they they may have ambushes and traps in mind, but I think their their main goal is to force Israel's hand and make Israel retaliate so that they can then play on the heartstrings of the weak-minded, emotion-led fools that are just useful idiots for evil people. Right. Um, you know, the right, those of us on the right, we get blasted. You've seen you've seen uh, national Democrats even take shots at, uh, at, at Donald Trump, at Governor Reeves, at Governor DeSantis, Governor Huckabee Sanders in Arkansas, who want to include pro-American patriotic content in the classroom. Why is that bad? Uh, can, we, can we not acknowledge and accept that this is a pretty good country? We can't do that? I guess not. You, well, you, it shows their stupidity and hypocrisy. What is you, you can't in, in one sentence say how great America is, and then in the next sentence teach your students that America is systemically racist and oppressive and colonial. True. And, of course, one has to wonder, then, why are... Even though it's the freedoms of America that allow them to espouse those ideas without risking imprisonment. That's what is probably the most frustrating aspect. And and by the way, that was the vision of the people that they also hold as contemptible, that being the founders of this country, right? You got to offer their names and statues and everything. They're the ones that came up with that idea and understood you got to put that at the top of the list. They got that. But but their brilliance gets dismissed. The, um, you know, the Prager made a point last night that made a lot of sense. And actually, Stephen Scoltetti, who we had on the program, he he brought this up as well quite a bit. Stephen Scoltetti is, uh, I believe, chair of the Department of Philosophy and Religion at Ole Miss. He's the one involved in the Declaration of Independence Freedom Center, was instrumental in getting a minor degree. Uh, established at uh, Ole Miss in Freedom Studies. I mean, this is remarkable, and I'm proud of it, and we all should be in Mississippi that we have such a center on a college campus, and and we have um, someone in higher ed as a professor that is advocating for this and and, uh, taking that up as a big task. But, you know, he just – he made the point that we're too busy focused on on justice rather than freedom. And by justice, I mean they want to dig up stuff that happened 200 years ago and keep dwelling on that and focusing on the stains of our past as if that totally represents the country. That's a holistic representation. It's not. And I don't know... Well, any- ignoring the failings of their leader... Karl Marx. Totally true. Who, by the way, I did a little research on that. You know, he was pretty wealthy. He would be, in today's terms, in the top 1%, by the way. And when he wasn't doing so well off, he was mooching off his wealthy friend. (laughs) That's right. That's exactly right. And raping his maid. I didn't know that, but I'm not surprised. He's a despicable human. But I'm I'm proud of Professor Scoltetti for, I thought that was brilliant, uh, the way he 
he uh, articulated that, and I, and it is right. And and um, the focus is too much on what's the justice cause of the day, right? As opposed to no, we need to be focusing on freedom and the loss thereof, and how freedom really is the path to a happy life. Honestly, safety, security, prosperity, health. It all stems from that. And Prager made a great point that God expects us to be happy. How many times we said on the program, and it immediately made me think about that, that they're just so, so, they're so mad. They're so, there's in this constant state of despair. I think it's because they're, they've got such a long list of grievances that have consumed them, honestly, to the point where they're just all unhappy. And they don't want you to be happy. They hate fun. They never laugh, except Kamala, and that's just kind of her little mechanism to cope with the fact that she's just clueless. That's really what that's about. I don't know what to say, so I just laugh here. And Because when, when she says stuff, it's like, huh? But it's true, and Prager's right. God wants us to be happy. And thinking and acting and celebrating and being happy and and content... It leads to good things and dwelling on the negative and your your various grievances. That just leads to an unproductive, unhappy. And those are the people who become suicidal, by the way. They're the ones that end up causing harm with themselves and others because they're just mired in it. And the whole damn left just mired. Just one big grievance party, if you think about it. Dwight says, "Uh uh-oh, sending a military aid package to Israel. Republicans hate doing that to Ukraine. I think the difference is, Dwight, I get what you're trying to say there, but I think the difference is nobody can tell us where the hell the money's going in Ukraine. We don't have a full accounting of it. And besides that, they're just historically been a corrupt group. Israel it's not. There's been no evidence of that. And they've never come over here and just begged the way... Uh, Zelensky has, and just kind of preyed on the left, honestly, more than anything in this country. So I think that's a false equivalence. I really Plus do. the fact that we didn't ally with Ukraine until 91, and we've been allies with Israel since the late 40s. Not only that, you know as well as I do, Israel would help us out. They would. And they have the ability to do it, whereas Ukraine really doesn't. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. Eric Clapton on the guitar there. I believe a founding member of the British rock band. That's probably 67, 68. That's all. Good one there. Um, I, I was just checking. Uh, just want to make sure I got this right. You're right. It was plea negotiations talking about this letter received by 9-11 
families. And the deal is, apparently, the uh, the person who's largely credited with being the architect, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, and there are, I think, four or five others, apparently the plea deal is no death penalty. I think we're going to move them to this country, no death penalty. Uh, and so they sent that a letter informing the um, the family members uh, connected to the victims of 9-11. This happened not so long ago, I believe, like in August or so. You said a couple of months ago, and I think that's right. Yeah, uh, I think the outrage came from the fact that it happened not long after the anniversary of 9-11. That's right. So that's terrible, in my view. The Godfather on the ceasefire text line says, ask the congressman why they don't pass a budget and keep doing these stupid CRs. Well, they did last year. It was an omnibus bill that came out of the uh, the Senate. You remember Kevin McCarthy pleaded with them, uh, pleaded, pardon me, with them to uh, to wait until the new House was seated so that we could observe regular order and negotiate the twelve spending bills. But the Senate saw fit to ram through an omnibus spending bill. I've called out Republicans who joined with Democrats in doing so. It could not have happened without Republican support because it requires 60 votes over there. And I think 17 or 18 signed on to that, including Mississippi's Senator Roger Wicker. I disagreed with that that vote. Um, But to your point, I'm all about it, Godfather, that um, I've said many times we should – we should pass our spending bills in accordance with regular order. That would be 12 separate bills, each of which take up a certain function of government. But I'll point out again that those budget bills only cover the discretionary portion of government, 30% of total spending. I'm all for regular order in separate bills, but nothing's going to change. Let's just be honest. I don't care who the speaker is, you're not going to see any material change, because half of that's the military. And in a time when the whole world looks like a powder keg, it's unlikely there are going to be any cuts to the military. And I'm not suggesting that there aren't examples of waste and and abuse in the military that need to be rooted out. Absolutely. But in general, I don't think you're going to see any cuts there, so that leaves about 14% of total spending, that the non-military aspect of discretionary. Kevin McCarthy already offered a deal that would have cut $250 billion out of the 850 nearly returning it to pre-pandemic levels. And the House balked at it, wouldn't pass it. I agree it was a continuing resolution, and that's not the proper way to run the the budget process, uh, but they... How do you eat an elephant? Yeah, exactly. One bite at a time. Agree. Um, but I, I wouldn't... I guess the point is I wouldn't look for anything that's remarkable that would come out of that. I, I completely agree. I'm for it. I support it. But again, I'm keeping the eye on the prize, which is to, to, to uh, reduce the deficit and ultimately to balance the budget so we can start tackling the debt. By the way, last night, Mr. Prager, and I'm in total agree with him, 
agreement with him on this. He said, you know, the left likes to cry all the time that climate change, carbon, is an existential threat. We just hear it over and over again. But he said, you know, long before, if that's even true, that becomes an issue and starts truly affecting the planet the way that it's been predicted repeatedly. Now, the doom and gloom dire prognostication. The ice caps melting, no snow on Mount Fuji, coastal cities flooded, millions dead. And and that was just, uh, oh hell, what's his name? Al. Oh yeah, Al Gore. <laughs> Al Gore. Lockbox. Just, that was just him. We I invented the internet. We didn't even get into Greta. What's her name? Thunberg. <laughs> but repeatedly. <How> dare you? <laughs> exactly. And none of that came to pass. But but before I go here on the break, Mr. Prager said, nah, that $33 trillion of debt and what we're going to have to do to address it, that's the existential threat. He's absolutely right. I totally agree with him on that. And I'm going to share with you on the other side of the break what he said about how we ought to address this. And uh, I will just tell you that I felt a bit vindicated when I heard him. I'm glad he's speaking up like this, really. we got to keep doing it. We're coming right back after Fox News and Super Talk News. Kelly Bennett will be with us at 1220 to give us a rundown of the news from the Magnolia State. Stay with us. And now, now. another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's the afternoon portion of Middays. We are live in the Element Wealth Studio on this Friday, y'all. Don't forget Kelly Bennett coming up at 1220. Tickets to give away to the Township Blues Festival Saturday, November the 11th. And then today on In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, you'll hear an interview with former NFL star Corey Miller. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar is presented by Superior Catfish. Remember, there's catfish, then there is Superior Catfish. It's U.S. farm-raised catfish with homegrown flavor. Ask for it by name at your favorite store or restaurant and go to superiorcatfish.com for more info. Just a continuation of this night with Dennis Prager that I thoroughly enjoyed. So he's talking about the debt, and, and he's right that the debt is going to get us. And it's not that all of a sudden we got to go pay it. I don't think that's what the issue is. Because first, as we've explained, we owe ourselves. And we can just we can print money to pay it, which is what we're doing, honestly. It's what we're doing now. Uh, and it's not that that much of our debt is held by foreign countries who are going to call it. That That's... Kind of a, a misconception a lot of people have of the thirty-three trillion, only six trillion of it is held by foreign countries. The rest of it's held by U.S. investors, um, intergovernmental debt, government agencies such as Social Security, for example, hold it. Um, there's a Veterans Retirement Plan, I think, a special fund that's held, uh, invested in Treasuries. 
Uh, and then you got the Federal Reserve itself that has a lot of that debt on its books. That's to inject liquidity into the economy. Now, they are unwinding that and reducing their balance sheet because they don't need to do that anymore. But during COVID, they were buying it up like crazy. So, But the, what's the risk? The risk is inflation. And inflation to the point that it's causing massive hardship on um, on Americans, and that results in in just chaos. That that's the concern. If we don't get serious about controlling the problem, that will happen long before climate change is the existential threat to the point where the planet just blows up. Well, Mr. Prager said, yeah, we got to get control of mandatory spending. Absolutely. And he made the same point we've discussed here on the program is Social Security. Retirement age has got to go up, just does, so that we can reduce benefits total outlays. And he made the same points. People are living longer. That's a good thing. They're healthier. They're able to work longer as a result. And we've got to address that part of spending. If you're serious, because you're not serious if you just say that's off the table. That means you're not serious about really reining in the deficit and paying down the debt. Because you can't pay down the debt till you no longer have a deficit. You're not serious until... You, you bring that to the table. Totally agree with him in, uh, in that respect. And hopefully, we'll start to get something done. I, I'm, I'm optimistic. Kevin and Monticello, we were talking earlier about the left just being perpetually aggrieved, perpetually unhappy, dour, depressed, in a state of despair. He said, I had a bad job one time that I hated. I left it. Good for you, Kevin. You shouldn't stay if you hate it, if it's causing you stress and pain. Now, sometimes it's, you know, it's short-lived. It's sacrifice you make. And on the other side of that, you know there's really good times ahead. I get that. That's a different story. But if it's just not getting any better and you foresee that it won't, no matter what the situation is. But these people on the left that are aggrieved, it's you know, it's two weeks of depression because they got misgendered, mispronoun, that kind of crap. That's just, no, that ain't a problem. A job you're in eight hours a day that's just causing you heartache, and a lot of times it's hard to leave that at work. You bring it home. You, you guys know what I'm talking about here. Yeah, that's a problem. I know sitting in the in the business owner chair, you're looking at the numbers, you're worried about making a payroll, that's a problem. Wrong pronouns, no, that ain't a problem. That's the incumbency. You got it too dang easy when that's the biggest thing in your life. Hope I don't get mispronounced here. Oh, my gosh. Neil in Columbus says, is the American flag displayed in the classroom anymore? We had one of those small flags in every room back in the day. I'm honestly not sure, Neil. I haven't been in the classroom. I know um, Casey that listens to the show down at Ocean Springs, been involved in the Ocean Springs school board, knows a lot about that, maybe can help us out there. I honestly don't know. Rhino and other folks may have some information about that exposure. Let us know. I hope so. Um, do we say the 
Pledge of Allegiance at school anymore? I know we have prayers a prop, right? But uh, do we do that? I don't think so. Oh, geez. Unbelievable. Really is a problem. Uh, something else, Rhino, I sent you uh, I sent you something last night or this morning, I can't remember. And it was a discussion. I want to play this because I want folks to understand what the left's all about. I think this really does epitomize it. Do you, you have it? It was um, one of the hospitals, I think. I'll look for it as well. We may have to catch it later on the program. But it's one of the hospitals. And it's a discussion about their transgender or, or sex change is really what I'm going to call it. Care is what they refer to it. But it's sex change debauchery. Um, and... I just couldn't believe my ears listening to this. Uh, it looks like I sent it about 8 o'clock in the morning, and it's embedded in uh, an article there, if you can find it. Uh, but, you know, we got a governor's election coming up here, pretty critical. And we've got a Democrat candidate, Brandon Presley. He's presently the public service commissioner of the North Zone, an incumbent Republican Tate Reeves. And I just want to know if Mr. Presley believes he honestly can detach himself from, not liberals again, as we described earlier, leftists. He's a Democrat. The Democrats are leftists. And they are awash in crazy leftism. And... Uh, let's see. It looks like maybe I left you out. My bad, Rhino. I'm getting it to you now. But, I think I've got it. Okay. Can we play it? We. I don't know if we have time. Just looking at the amount of time we have. Um, maybe we can start it. Uh, female puberty, um, it just didn't fit who he was. Um, he didn't want to, to wear the things that girls wear. He didn't want to wear uh, you know, the underwear that girls wear. Gender dysphoria is the experience that people have where the sex they were assigned at birth, their sort of biological sex, um, is different from their sense of self or their gender identity. Gender is not a choice. We know from years and years of research that your gender identity is set by the age of about five. My son, uh, B, is um, 18. He came to his uh, true identity very early at first. Um, I remember him telling me that he wasn't Supergirl, he was Superman when he was two. If I asked anybody out there whether you're a girl or a boy, you could probably give me an answer. And then if I follow that up by asking when did you know that, most people feel like they've known it their whole life. And it is no different for our transgender kids. They have known it their whole life. They just may not have been able to express it. When B first was um, understanding that something was different about himself and didn't have words for it and didn't have a way to explain it, there uh, he was very anxious. He was very um, he was very withdrawn. He he was very um, upset with his life. He didn't really know what to do to feel better. Gender Health Services is a program through the Division of Adolescent Medicine. I'm the chief adolescent medicine doctor who sees patients with any gender concerns and we are linked with endocrinology both adult and pediatric with mental health services in terms of psychology and therapy with psychiatry and we have a host of other medical treatments depending on what people need 
When I work with a child who's gender expansive, it really depends where they expansive. are when they come to me. And the key here is using a, a gender affirmative type of therapy. We follow what's called the W Path model, which is the World Professional Association for Transgender Health. And it's an international standard of care that includes a mental health provider with a hormone prescribing physician. The very first thing that we did was talk to Emma about what do we do now. We spend a lot of time getting a pretty thorough history of gendered behaviors and expression. It took some conversations with my husband. It took some conversations with the rest of the family just to educate ourselves. We didn't know what was going on. Eight-year-olds, by the way, folks. They'll do this on eight-year-olds. They'll cut their breasts off. Eight-year-olds, this hospital, this is in Rochester. I want to know, does Brandon Presley support this? Because people in his party do. Guarantee you, every one of these people, they're Democrats. Does he support that? We're coming right back with Kelly Bennett. Interrupt this program. Gerard Gibbert. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi. Just as I thought it was going all right, I found out I'm wrong when I thought it was right. It's always the same, it's just a shame. That's all. Welcome back, everyone. Middays. We're in the Element Well studio, and we welcome to the program Kelly Bennett, multimedia journalist, Super Talk Mississippi News. Happy Friday the 13th, y'all. That's right. It's Friday the 13th. Absolutely. Yes. Forgot about that. <laughs> I've decided to go to a haunted house tonight, of all things. I figured what better day than Friday the 13th. <laughs> That's, That's happening. A, a propos for sure. All right, Kelly. So uh, Senator Roger Wicker was on with uh, Mr. Gallo was it yesterday or day before, earlier this week. And was talking about uh, giving a warning, I guess, and discussing this day of rage, which is uh, yeah. actually scheduled for and going on today. And I just saw some reports. There are uh, anti-Israel protests taking place across the world right now. Yes, there are. And I think it was France where a teacher was stabbed to death uh, this morning and another was injured I'm looking that I've been really keeping my eye out to see if anything happens in the U.S. And so far, it looks like it's quiet. But Senator Roger Wicker, we did ask him about this during his visit. And here's what he had to say. I think we are now prepared. Uh, it, you know, if, if this had, if this attack had not happened, um, we might have more to worry about because uh, I don't think anyone would have expected anything to happen, say, in the United States or the rest of the, the Western world. But I think we're pretty much uh, on guard. And like many Americans, he's concerned about the possibility of terrorists coming into our country through the poorest border. We need yep. to just realize that um, if someone can come across the border 
that's that's well guarded between Gaza and and Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, we can only absolutely be sure that some of the worst actors in the world are coming across our border. Yeah. Good for thought. Yeah, no doubt. And I, gosh, I sure hope that seeing the events unfolding in Israel. Uh, brings that more into focus and that um, Americans start pressuring, especially uh, the Democrats and the president, who just don't have an interest in truly securing the border. Maybe this will open their eyes a bit and we'll get some action there. That's that's what I'm hoping for. I uh, appreciate the senator being on with Mr. Gallo to, to talk about that. Let's, let's uh, discuss what's going on here in the state of Mississippi. We had a candidate withdraw from the governor's race. Yeah, and this is going to affect uh, the ballot, but not in the way you might think. So here's what happened. The governor's race narrowed Monday when independent candidate Gwendolyn Gray withdrew her name. She's giving her support to Brandon Presley. Now, this would appear to rid any possible instance of a possible runoff between Reeves and Presley. However, the Secretary of State's office said Gray will remain on the ballot on November 7th because candidates' names can't be removed once Hmm. the first ballot is printed. Hmm. So I found that kind of interesting. It's too late to take her off. We could have a candidate receive votes. It's really not running. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Wow. And there was some more big big political news this week in the uh, presidential candidate Robert Kennedy Jr., announced his independent candidacy for president. Mm-hmm. He did that on Monday, officially ending his effort to defeat, to defeat President Joe Biden in the Democratic primary. And uh, we talked with uh, Mississippi College Associate Professor of Political Science, Glenn Antizzo, about this. And he says he thinks Kennedy may scoop off some votes on the Republican side. This is one of those times. Um, I don't think the impact will be as big as Ross Perot in 92 or 96, where Perot got like 19% of the vote in 92 or 10% in 96. But I think between Cornell West and, and Kennedy, I think that there is a chance that nobody gets a uh, majority. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of discontent in the country right now. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, analysis there from the professor. I, you know, I, I kind of believe that uh, he's likely to siphon off more Republican votes. I just feel like that's the case. I don't think he's enough aligned with the typical Democrat um, list of priorities, if you will. But it really only matters mm-hmm. in in those handful of states that swing the election, those four or five swing states, and and we'll see kind of what happens there. But it um, certainly makes it interesting. One more political story for you. Hines County Supervisor Vern Gavin wants to overturn the results of the August primary. They're going to have a hearing October 30th to determine whether his complaint against challenger Wanda Evers can move forward. The District 4 supervisor lost his bid for re-election by about 400 votes. He is claiming that Evers didn't meet state residency requirements. Of course, Evers denies those claims. Hmm. Interesting. And I, I saw that I believe their systems have been restored to their IT systems. Hines County have been restored to operational state, having gone down on September the 7th. And that outage endured for over three weeks. 
No IT systems. Yeah, that took a while. Hines County. But I think the, the DHS services are still shut down in Hines County. There was a building there that was having issues, and people were getting their TANF and SNAP benefits late as a result. Wow. Okay. Well, that's uh, it's always a, a problem that just kind of lingers around out there, looms around, and waits to strike. Uh what uh, what do you know about wildfires uh, with respect to our firefighters? Oh, my goodness. Well, I don't know about you in Jackson. I'm on the Mississippi coast. We finally got some rain this week. However, we're so far behind in the rain category. I think we've usually had four inches on the coast by now, and we've only had two. Yeah. So even the rains we've been having recently aren't helping out. And we've actually, we talked with uh, John Pope He's Collins Fire Chief and President of the Mississippi Firefighters Association. They are actually receiving help in battling these wildfires from other states, and that's not something that typically happens. Uh, in these wildland fire situations and brush fire situations, uh, uh, ember or brand, burning brand, can travel in wind currents up to a half a mile and still have enough uh, heat to it to be able to ignite in another location. Isn't that something? Yeah. I mean, a mile and a half away. Wow. That's, and, of course, we're also, because of the drought, experiencing some issues with our agriculture industry. We talked with Andy Gibson about that earlier this week. There's a hay shortage. Are you aware of this? Which is worst in South Mississippi, but it extends about to 99% of the entire state right now. That drought goes all the way out across Louisiana, all the way across Texas and New Mexico, all the way up the Mississippi River Basin to the Midwest and across north, the northern United States. Sorry, that was him talking about the drought in general, but yeah. he also did talk about the heat shortage and what they're doing about it. For the last couple of years, there's been a drought out in Texas, and those folks have been buying our excess hay. Now, we have not been able to produce the, the type of hay that we needed to have for our own cattle and our own livestock, so we have a, sh- a hay shortage. Mississippi State Extension has published a hay directory that's online. You can, If you have hay for sale, please go there and put right. it in. If you need to buy some, go there and check it out. Livestock producers have been selling off their cattle as a result because they just can't afford to feed them. Now, there is help available through a USDA program, and you can get all the details on that. Please apply for assistance if it's affecting you, and all that info is up at supertalk.fm. Yeah, so we got a new charter school, I believe a high school, right, added to uh, the portfolio of charter schools. Tell us about that. Well, there are currently 10 charter schools operating in the state, and we talked with Grant Callen earlier this week. He's the founder and CEO of Empower Mississippi. He gave us the details on approval for another one. And and really, the the great news is that we just got through a charter um, application cycle, and the first charter high school in the state was approved to open, and that's in Clarksdale, and it's... um, Clarksdale Collegiate that Amanda Johnson has operated an elementary school and a middle school, and now they've been approved to open a high school. Eighty percent of the applicants over the last 10 years have been denied. I think there is a growing interest by board members to to say yes more and to try and get higher quality applicants. So Empower Mississippi has started a program called Embark. And through it, they're offering potential school founders help. 
to get their schools approved, which he thinks will be happening more in the future. Yeah, I agree. Elise Marcelino uh, runs in BART. Uh, she's a, been a longtime member of the Empower team, does an excellent job with that. And I'm optimistic we're going to see more traction and more work towards uh, improving and extending and expanding uh, the school choice uh, programs in the state of Mississippi. Kelly, good to talk to you. Appreciate you coming on. Uh, great update. Good stuff. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Y'all have a great weekend. You too. We're coming right back. Half an hour left in the Element Well studio and tickets to give away. Gerard Gibbert. Going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. The great Marvin Gaye. Oh, that's smooth there, baby. So uh, some folks did send us some messages about uh, the Pledge of Allegiance, and I was pleased to to see that uh, a lot of folks say, yeah, uh, like Brian and Tupelo. I know my 7-year-old at Saltillo says the Pledge, not sure about my kids in other grades. That's good to hear. Thomas and Greenwood says they are in private schools. Wayne from North Mississippi. My granddaughter's in kindergarten in northwest Arkansas. They're still taught the Pledge of Allegiance and say it daily. Let's see. My friend uh, Sharon Awamak and and Brandon says, My three-year-old granddaughter knows the pledge learned at her K-3 kindergarten. She made me stop and say it at a flag in the Walmart this week. That's pretty cool. Byron from Brandon says, Hartfield says, prayer and pledge before football and volleyball games, probably all sports at the school. Of course, that's a a private school. I sure hope those kids at Clemson get what they are protesting for. I don't see how they can make it without those products in the men's bathroom, says Keith and Vaden. So I I do want to go back and and just review this this video. It's a bit shocking to me, Rhino, watching... Sort of the cavalier attitude. I mean, it, it's it's almost they're so proud of mutilating these bodies. This physician, who whatever the hell her title was, head of the gendered stuff at this children's hospital, and it's I want to repeat, eight year olds. They've done this surgery on eight year olds. Remember the tape we played several months ago, and it was someone who was searching for information to try to expose this mutilation going on at, the, at this hospital. And and this person called uh, posing as a mother of a 10-year-old and was seeking the, the total transgender sex change surgical care, treatment. I'm not even going to call it care. It's really not care, but operation. And got passed around a bit. Remember that in the hospital till finally they got him to someone like in the surgical department. And she kept uh, emphasizing, this is a 10-year-old. Just making sure you guys will do this on my 10-year-old. 
Oh, yeah, we do it. Remember that? The finally said, yeah, no problem. I know we've done that here before for kids that age. So you just told the world that you were literally mutilating 10-year-old bodies. I can't comprehend it. A little 10-year-old girl, you literally remove their breasts. What do they call that? Tops or something like that? The tops, the bottoms? And then they do some sort of crazy plastic surgery on their genitals to achieve at least what they think is a sex change to be aligned with how they identify. And the other part that was, um, you couldn't see unless you were watching it, but while she was discussing the gender health services, a screen was displayed that had bullet points listing all those services. Cross-gender hormone therapy, pubertal blockade, mental health assessment, surgical services, fertility services, and social work services. So they got the full suite. But again, they're kind doing... kind of rich that they include fertility services because 99.9999% of people that undergo gender-affirming care are sterile for the rest of their life. That's absolutely true. Uh, you just need to... Uh, I want to ask Brandon Presley. I really do. Do you think men can get pregnant? Because most people in his party do. A Supreme Court justice cannot, can't define a woman... And said, I'm not a biologist, which essentially says, well, that means that's a function of biology. Well, that just defined it right there. Biology's already defined that. It's been settled science for a long time. Seriously, that does this candidate in this state align with this radical ideology? Because most, if not virtually everyone in this party, they do. As far as I can tell. I've not heard or seen any of them denounce it. In fact, they embrace it. And think about this. Where did he get a big chunk of his money from? The Democratic governors. It's the Democrat states, states led by Democratic governors, that are fully embracing it, expanding this garbage. What did, what did the physician say? Gender expansion? <laughs> Was that the terminology? I tell you, every day I learn something new. Gender expansion. That's like decolonialia, whatever it is. Decoloniality. I can't even say it. It's so crazy. What does that mean? Is that just kind of a requirement? You have to make these sort of fancy words up, speak like that. It's, that's that's like You're part of it. You're praised in academia if you come up with nonsensical words like that. It gives you a new buzzword. Decoloniality. I think that's how you yeah. say it. <laughs> I'm just oh, waiting God. on the left to embrace pirate kids. <laughs> oh my gosh, we already got the furry, right? The fur, whatever they call right, it. Right, but I mean, if a seven-year-old tells you they are a pirate, they know they are a pirate. They want to <laughs> cut off a leg. They want to cut off a hand. They want that peg leg. They need that hook. They want to gouge out their eyes so they can wear that patch. Oh, it's so crazy. By the way... They obviously know who they are at that age. Let them be a pirate. <laughs> uh, Casey, by the way, in Ocean Springs says that... Um, I was a little surprised. Said She wrote several policies for Ocean Springs that requires teachers to use a student's name, that parents register them under, that prevents them from asking students what their preferred pronouns are, 
and one that requires school counselors to talk to parents if a student confides in them that they would like to transition. I was met with dissension and told that I could not policy transgender students out of our schools. Unbelievable. And um, says school counselors say they have to follow the professional code of ethics for school counselors, that Mississippi statutes say that they are required to follow the National Association of School Counselors Code of Ethics. That code of ethics tells them to inform, or to, pardon me, to keep information, to conceal information from parents. I talked to legislators, and a bill was introduced last year to delete that one line from the statutes. It died in committee. We're going to work on that again, Casey. I promise. That's nuts. goes on to say, I'm going to talk to legislators to ensure that this gets passed this year. I'm with you. We're going to work on that. That's ridiculous. I want to know, does Brandon Presley believe that the parents should be involved? In the education of their children, does he believe that parents should be informed, that teachers should be required to inform their parents if a child expresses any sort of desire to uh, transition their biological gender, use bathrooms that don't correspond with their biological gender, or request of the teacher to refer to them by some crazy pronouns that also don't align with their biological gender, that aren't obvious to the human eye, what pronouns should be used? Where does he stand on that? I think it's this important. Because I've heard some Republicans say, you know, I really don't like the governor. I don't think I'm going to support him. Well, this is what you're supporting if you don't. I get it. You may have some... Some issue, it's probably not that big a deal, honestly, but I encourage you to focus on just what's good, what's evil, what's right, what's wrong. And that's just wrong. Chopping off body parts and reshaping them in the name of gender dysphoria on 10-year-olds, 8-year-olds is just wrong. That's just wrong. I'm sorry. I can't accept it. I don't care how much they kick and scream and beg, I want to wear dresses even though I'm a male, and uh, I want to wear uh, jock straps or something. Isn't that what they say there? I don't know. Underwear, something crazy like that. You know what? you got to be the adult. This is part of the problem, is that the parents, you, you said it, Spock, the parents don't want to be the adult. They don't want to assert themselves as the parents. And that's part of the reason for the decline. Meanwhile, you've seen the ACT scores like the worst ever. But yet, the left-wing teachers union holds themselves up as the absolute academic gold standard. It's your damn fault the ACT scores are falling that way. Because this is the crap you're worried about. Now, the sad thing is we got to be on the lookout for is if the ACT starts changing the content of the questions to be more aligned with all this stuff. You know, the three pillars of the Democrat Party, race, climate, and gender. <laughs> that is the essence of the Democrat Party. 
And in my view, that's who Mr. Presley is associated with. He is. He's a Democrat. And he can argue all day long that, no, that's really not what they stand for, but it absolutely is. We have evidence of it. We're stepping aside for a break. Final segment next with tickets to give away. Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a Journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert. Super Talk Mississippi. Back in the Element Well studio. It's middays in a second. Rhino's going to give away some tickets. So, um, Larry and I says you need to get Mr. Presley on the show. So, just so you know, folks, we did have him scheduled to come on at the Neshoba County Fair. He was absolutely on the schedule, had agreed. And then uh, the evening before, we were informed that uh, he was canceling, would not come on. And if he if he would accept an invitation, I'd love to interview him, and, and I hope he knows that I would not verbally assail him. That's, that's not of any value. But these are questions I believe he needs to answer. He's affiliated with a party that, in my view, are just Marxist. And they exemplify it on a daily basis. And they're the ones that gave rise to all this crap. There's no doubt about it. They've condoned it. They've praised it. They've singled it out, provided it preferential treatment. He needs to tell us, where do you stand? Do you want to do that in Mississippi? Because right now we're able to, to block it at a state level. And I'm pleased to hear so many people saying, like uh, someone said, at Lafayette, they say the pledge. And a lot of people texted in and said, yeah, we are. But I'm glad to see that. And that's just one little piece of the puzzle. But then Casey tells us that they're not allowed to implement policy that prevents a, a, a teacher from using a preferred pronoun of a student. That's ridiculous. Teacher, adult, student, kid. All right, Rhino, give away some tickets. The Township Blues Festival is hitting Colony Park in Ridgeland on Saturday, November the 11th with Cedric Burnside, Taz, and many others. Tickets are already on sale at townshipblues.com, but now is your chance to win a pair of tickets to see Cedric Burnside and everybody else at the Township Blues Festival on November 11th. All you got to do is be the 14th person to text in the word township to the C Spire text line. That's 601-879-4395. Be the 14th person, and you'll win a pair of tickets to check out Cedric Burnside and everybody else at the Township Blues Festival on November the 11th. All right, appreciate that. So that's uh, that's the, the big concert coming up. It's going to be a big deal. It's a, It's a neat venue as well. You know, I I hope we get a speaker before the weekend is out. 
Um, I know the you can tell the congressman, Michael Guest, he's, I think they're all growing a bit weary of it, and they should certainly get that. I, uh, I'm optimistic that we're going to get something done. A lot of people want to know why did Scalise drop out. He counted the votes and said, yeah, I don't think it's going to work. And again, at this point, I just hope we can get somebody. I think that the Democrats are very effectively using this this discord against Republicans, and they're going to leverage that in elections next year. I have no doubt about that. Uh, and then we've got this situation in Israel, and I I remain concerned about our commander-in-chief's ability to preside over the situation and lead in a time when we so desperately need leadership in the White House. And I hope that uh, that that reckoning comes uh, to Hamas and they are put down and no longer a factor and no longer a threat. That's what's so desperately needed. And I fully support Israel's right to exist, to defend themselves, and to retaliate. It looks like that, uh, just looking at the latest on that, Hamas is still telling civilians in the area, stay put in Gaza City and so forth, even though they know Israeli forces are knocking at the door. And I honestly believe it's, it's a photo op deal. They want the photos. So they can show the world how evil the Israelis are. Even though I believe Israel, much like this country, goes out of its way to avoid civilian casualties, but it's war. And and it's just virtually impossible to avoid. And what other war scenario do you give your enemy 24 hours heads up? Hamas didn't, did they? Because the civilians were the target. They're cowards. They're not going after the Israeli military or military installations or facilities or assets or troops. No. Maximum impacts beheading babies and and dragging innocent civilians through the streets, tying up, torturing the elderly. Cowards. It's evil. I hate evil. We're out of here today. We appreciate you uh, joining us. We're going to be back. I think Rhino's off on Monday, right? Yep, we're back with you on Monday. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.